Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. We're back this week to take a trip to the Theater of Dreams. But before we get there, don't forget to leave us five stars on iTunes or Spotify. And follow us on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Now that that's out of the way, let me introduce my co-host. I can't believe his dry January has survived Jose Mourinho's firing. It's Ben Daniels. Ben, how, how do we find you this 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 week of your jubilee pretty good you know i'm more of a more of a sad drinker than a happy drinker i think in a situation like this like if we had hired jose Mourinho, dry january would be over but uh you know i can celebrate i can celebrate without alcohol that's fine <laughs> not a problem <laughs> i am just enjoying the crocodile tears he sheds on the way out i think that's a rational way to look at it and moving on to my other co-host he is enjoying Jose Mourinho's exit, presumably uh, with an alternative form of beverage. It's Brian Ashlock. Brian, how are you doing this week? Yeah, I'm great. Um, you know, I do have a question, though. Like, does dry January, does that apply to only alcohol? I mean, it is whatever you make of it, Brian. This is not like a pact I've signed in blood. This is just a thing I'm doing to not drink for a month okay yeah well so it's about the drink. The answer is no in my case no <laughs> okay all right i i mean either way i i ruined it so i but i was just curious well yeah thanks for taking an interest in my life yeah no, that fine. means a lot to me so i'm is, <laughs> leading us off excellent I, I guess transition I, yeah I, well you know that's what we're known for on this podcast you know, we played Manchester United this week. I'm curious with you guys because you know United have fallen on hard times in recent recent years. Do you still have any? Is there any sort of special dread about going up to Manchester United and playing them anymore? Do you like not necessarily the build up, but once you know they kick off or whatever? Do you just assume things are going to happen? Because I found myself maybe after you know they scored a goal on us like that in the first few minutes, but it just I, I don't know. It feels like United with United, it just shit just seems to go their way that when they play us up there, like we had Ronaldo's last good game happen against us. Like, I, does it hold any special fear for you guys? Not for me. No, I, I mean, you know, I think the, the Hoyland goal happens in like what the third minute or whatever. And my feeling is more, Oh, here we go again in terms of like, this is, a Spurs game where we're going to play good and we're going to get beat because like one or two players just have a good game. Um, it didn't have anything to do with the existence of Manchester United or Old Trafford or whatever. Um, I I just think it, it's, you know, it's been such a weird time for that team in the last, what, four or five years. That, yeah. I mean, they kind of had that one season under was it Jose where they finished second? And 
I mean, I guess Jose won them a European trophy while he was there. Um, this is going to be a very Jose centric podcast, I feel like. Um, but yeah, I, I just we, we knew you were all missing it. So. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we got to give the people what they want. Um, but yeah, I just don't I don't feel the same way about going there as I do about you know Chelsea or Arsenal or something like that. I think I think matches like at Stamford Bridge specifically carry a lot more like, ah, shit, what kind of stupid stuff is going to go on this time uh, for me? Yeah, Man U is an interesting one because, you know, we've had so many cursed performances there. You know, the Pedro Mendez goal, the Nani, you know, tapping that in after the non-handball slash, you know, whatever call. But, like, all of those things happened at a time when like the gulf between us was so vast that it was like, yes, old Trafford was like, you know, a hoodoo place, but it was also like, they were Manchester United and we were Spurs. And that gulf has been gone for so long that I, I don't know. I find them fairly irrelevant, frankly. Um, You know, and I do have a sense, like when the Hoyland goal happened, it was like, Oh, right. This is a thing, but it doesn't give me any kind of dread in advance. Maybe stupidly, because, you know, we should have won this game and didn't. Um, so clearly, whatever curse exists is still is still alive and well. But, you know, ever since Clint Dempsey, you know, bundled that home um, under ABB and we finally won at Old Trafford, uh, they can't hurt us anymore. You know, it's all the things that you would need to handle, like, exercise of demons have happened like we beat them in that amazing game under avb where it was like a real sort of rear guard action we you know tim sherwood has a victory at old Trafford. i mean you know like there was a time where that was an accomplishment um you know we Eric Lamella got anthony marcial sent off exactly oh uh, you know lots we've we've had lots of wins there and it's not the kind of thing i spend dreading or thinking about in the week leading up to United, but as soon as there's kickoff, it's just like, ah, shit, what's going to happen today? It's like this sort of like demon lurking in the back of my mind that comes out. Um, I, I don't know. It, it, it's very... They, they've Like you said, Brian, they've, been, they've had a rough decade. I feel like each of their managers since Ferguson has had like, with maybe the exception of Moyes, has had that like one good year where they finish sort of higher up in the table, but... I don't know. Like, they're generally pretty awful. Like, like Ben said, there's not like a gulf between us anymore. If anything, we're the incredibly well hung club, and they just keep chucking money into a furnace. But man, I yeah. don't know. Just they've been nothing for like a decade. Like, I mean, yes, they've had some success with Jose. They fluked their way to some, you know, a higher table finish than us under Ole one year. But like, they're not good. They're not scary. But you watch like Hoyland, who is like, I know Hoyland is a decent player who has had some success in Europe, but like has been a fucking joke all season. And he puts, like, that goal in in the third minute. And it's just like, you know, certainly my doomsaying mind just goes to places when you watch that happen to us. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, (laughs) exactly. I think I heard during the, uh, the broadcast of the game that, you know, he'd taken something like a thousand Premier League minutes to score his first Premier League goal. And then he scored his second Premier League goal like six minutes after scoring his first one. So I was like, oh, great. Awesome, Spurs. Like, Is this guy going to score a hat trick against us? But yeah, I mean, you're right, Greg. Like, He 
he's basically a nothing signing for them. Like they spent a crazy amount of money on him. He hasn't produced so far. And I mean, you know, sure he's 20 years old, but like, I don't know. That's, that's the exciting thing that they have going on. And it's then, been a joke this year, and it's not fun when like we can't be in on the joke. You know what I mean? Like, and then Rashford scores, which like ruins my ability to make the jokes about how like Sar has done the Rashford celebration more than Rashford this year. Um, still true. <laughs> still true. That is that is still true. Um, it was just a little bit of a frustrating early going, and I think like what was really what's really funny about this match is like, you know, obviously, you know, this sort of super up and positive guys that we are, we're choosing to talk about, or I'm choosing to have us talk about those two moments because by and large, I think we completely dominated this match. And, you know, if you want to talk about like old Trafford working out for United, what really worked out for United is the fact that like, I think if any of our sort of major starters, whether you're talking about Kulishevsky or um, Madison, Saar, uh, La Celso, any of those guys have been able to start. I think we just absolutely would have pulverized. Fun. Yeah, yeah. I think we, I think we would have absolutely pulverized United. I think they were so bad, and I think we, frankly, did a pretty good job sort of tearing them to pieces without those guys. But you know, that final ball, that final shot was a little bit lacking, and you know, we also just got unlucky that we we conceded two pretty impressive goals. Can I take a minute just real quick to just say how egregious it was that we were missing so many players to African Cup of Nations and the Asian Cup and their fucking goalkeeper decided to stick around. You know, he didn't do a great job, but like, that's just, that's so, I mean, it's a compliment, but it's also like, fuck you. Like, I'm, I, I know I complained about this last week, uh, but I'm complaining about it again. But it is very funny that he then ended up stranded um, at an airport somewhere else in Africa. Did he... Did he make it to the match? I don't think he did. I don't think he did either. <laughs> no, because his his cousin was starting in goal. I think that's right. Yeah. So his not his non union uh, <laughs> African equivalent, basically. Um, I I mean you know to to your guys' point about all the injuries, like when the lineups came out and you just looked on paper at the two midfields that were playing for the these two teams, it was like what is this game even going to be? Like, it was just, like, you just thought it was going to be both teams knocking it long, bypassing midfield, because there was... Kind of was. <laughs> yeah, and it was, it was just like, you know, the all the the decent United midfielders are on the bench, but even though those decent players are like Casemiro, or, or his corpse anyway, and uh, Scott McTominay. And, you know... For us, we had Bentoncourt out there, um, so I, you know that's that's fine, I guess. But um, you know, and then Oliver Skip and who I thought like again, I'm not don't think he's good enough for Spurs, but he was at least like used in a productive way in this match. Like, I, mean, I think Ange does deserve a lot of credit for sort of making chicken salad out of chicken shit here. I mean, I thought that was how's. I thought that was a much more dynamic midfield performance from those players than I was expecting when I saw those lineups come out. Yeah, it was definitely the least bad Skip has been in a while. It's just you lose so much having a guy with his limited skill set in that role because all he's doing is really running. And like, you know, a lot of, some nice a passes. Lot of like we should we should be fair to him. He had some nice passes in this match. 
Fine, but like, you know, he's not unlocking a defense. No. He's not playing like weighted through balls. Like, you know, we saw him overhit many passes when breaks were on. Um, you know, it's just, he's just not that guy. And, you know, he got a lot of praise for his, what people are calling a decoy run into the box before Roddy scored that goal. And, you know, I think it was just a run that wasn't very good and wasn't passed to deliberately, but it did have the benefit of drawing a defender out of the way. I mean, I think he was doing that. He was doing that enough during the match that I yeah. don't think it was He's like there. He was a, a coincidence. Guy. Yeah. But like he's doing what he can. Like but you're thing, right. If if we had a more talented passer, it would have made a lot of difference. Like the thing that I would say was particularly notable about Skip is man, you were not paying a lot of attention to him. He was always the free man. He was always the guy who was available because they were doubling up on better players. And, you know, yeah, he was involved a lot because of that, but also he wasn't good enough to take advantage of those circumstances. Um, you know, it's like last year, remember, we, we would see Emerson Royale in so much space up the wing because nobody bothered tracking him because you knew he wasn't going to do anything um, when he got the ball. You know, he's come a long way since then. But, uh, yeah, you know, it was – it was the best you're going to get from Skip, and if there's more to come, fine. But you know, hopefully, we don't have to see him much more. I mean, I thought what was most impressive was Bentoncore, who was like getting targeted all day by United's admittedly like flimsy and shambolic and like decaying corpse of a midfield. But you know, like they were like their goal was like do not let him get involved. And you know, I thought even despite that, he was just like. Magnificent. I mean, you know, it's so I, good to have him back. He's so good, and I think like it really made me think of like. I mean, I don't. Like, Conte was a terrorist and like deserved to go, and like you know, we all sort of justly hate him at this point. But like, you do have to wonder what last year might have looked like if Bentancourt hadn't like missed all of it. Essentially, uh, he's so good. Thank and, God he did. Yeah. I, yes. Yes. I mean, I'd rather be where we are today, but he's such a good player, and I think it's. It's really weird because I think he, he's not the same player as Dembele, but I think he continues that tradition of like a wildly underrated Tottenham midfielder who like, you know, I don't even think Spurs fans really give that guy sort of the appreciation he deserves yet. But like certainly the league at large, I think doesn't, fans at least, don't seem to like understand what a great midfielder we have there. He does so much. And now... Like, I think it's worth asking the question, is he adding goals to like, you know, we talked about, I think two years ago, Jesus Christ. Um, we talked about, you know, like, can you count on Bentoncourt scoring this much? And I don't know if you can count on him scoring this much, but you've watched how he's played when he's been fit. And you do, I think, have to wonder, like, you know, like him putting the ball in the net semi-regularly might not be a fluke, the fluke that we all thought it was, if you like in uh, Conte's first year. Yeah, so it was last year. He scored six goals for us, which was like a nice little chip in. And, you know, today, or not today, but whenever the game was, he had three shots all from like around the six-yard box. He obviously scored a great goal while also doing a lot of the passing and tackling and controlling in midfield. Um, It's, yeah, it's just super dynamic. And like, this is, you know, what you want out of uh, an eight in this system is someone who can pass and get involved you know, at both ends of the pitch. And that's what's made Sar so good is, you know, his his engine and, and the way that he added shots and, and getting into the box. Um, so it's, yeah, it's really nice to have him being able to contribute in that role also. 
you know, whether he stays there or if he ends up replacing Basuma at the six or just filling in wherever we need him to, I don't know, but you know, he's such a multi-tool player that. Well, and I think that's probably like the benefit of Bentancourt is like you have three players in this midfield in Basuma, Madison and Saar who are kind of purpose built for their specific roles. And then you have Bentancourt, who is basically capable of doing all three to some degree. And, you know, look, I think probably our best midfield three does include him over Saar. Um, I've really enjoyed how Saar plays this year. I think, you know, we've talked multiple times in this podcast about how integral he is to the way that you know, uh, the fullbacks play on his side and, and the way the midfield works. But I, I feel like Bentoncourt does that while also giving you, um, you know, a little bit better passing, a little bit better um, uh, tactical awareness, a little bit better results in the box. Um, and now you, you, you give up, you know, kind of, a little bit of SARS motor and his speed and maybe his, uh, you know, ability to cover ground, but Benton is no slouch there either. So I, I just, I'm, I'm really interested to see what once everybody comes back kind of in February and March that this midfield specifically looks like. Um, and I don't know, maybe it allows us to just do rotation based on opponents or, you know, I, I don't know, but like, you know, between those four, I, I feel pretty good about where our midfield is going forward. Yeah. And I mean, we still have Los Elso who can probably plug into that eight or 10 spot as well. Like, you know, when we have a full squad, it's decent. It's just, God, it's been grim how bare bones we've been. Incredibly deep in midfield when you think about it. And it took like two international tournaments. Like an illness <laughs> ripping through the squad and like Lo Celso's non-existent hamstrings to really get us in the situation. You know, plus whatever other injuries I'm forgetting. You know, it took a lot to get us down to sort of the bare bones we saw against United. Um, you know, unfortunately, I mean, if, if I don't know how fortunate it is because we didn't take away all three points. But, you know, at least like the thing keeping Kulishevsky out of the squad is like, you know, he was sick and, you know, he'll be better for the City game, you would presume. So... Uh, but yeah, but before we get off Bentecourt, it's just like, he's got such awareness, he brings such an awareness to that midfield. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's telling that, you know, Brian, you were talking about how many options we have in midfield. I don't think anyone's ideal version of a Spurs midfield doesn't have Bentecourt in it. Like, I mean, you know, you probably say that about Madison or whoever, but like, he just does like, yeah, he doesn't have SARS motor. He doesn't have that sort of incisive pass that maybe Madison has. But he just does so much well, and you always feel like he's got such a great awareness on the pitch. Like, he does know when guys get open. He does know when it's time to break for it. He knows when it's time to, you know, have a make a cheap tactical foul. It's just like, you know, I don't know if there's any player who's on this team who's decision-making I trust as much as him. And, you know, we've missed him for so long. It's, it's just nice to have him back. Yeah, I honestly think he'll, he ends up as the six, and Basum is the one who makes way. I mean... He started the season in such great form, and then I don't know what got into him, but he's you know got into real bad foul trouble and a lot of inconsistency in a way that you know I think at his best he's probably 
deserves a spot in the midfield. We just don't know if we're going to get him at his consistent best. Whereas Saar, I think, has been, you know, maybe his his peaks aren't quite as high, but, like, his everyday performance is, like, an 8 out of 10. And, you know, you can't turn your nose up at that. No. Either way, good problems to have. One day. Someday. We (laughs) we will have that problem eventually. One would imagine. (laughs) Are, Are... Hold on, how do I put this? How did you guys feel about the introduction of Timo Werner into the squad? Because, you know, we talk about how many options we have in midfield and how many sort of different choices we have if everyone's healthy. You know, that front line feels a lot more like, you know, we're really sort of patching holes in the boat as we paddle along. Um, how did you feel with Ver- Werner's first appearance for Spurs? I thought you know, Werner played well. You know, I, I mean, you know, he he did kind of what it says on the box. He he ran a lot. He was worked hard. He got into good positions. And, you know, he skied some shots into the stands. Um, you know, and maybe that's a little unfair to him because, you know, look, he hasn't played a lot of football this year and blah, blah, blah. But, like, he got an assist and he worked pretty hard. And I don't know. He did... He did m- basically all of the things that we want from that role, I think, you know, I mean, obviously you would have liked for him to score. Uh, he, cause he got into a couple of good positions to get shots off, but uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't think we need him to be, you know, the Timo Werner that existed at uh red bull, you know, four or five years ago. He doesn't, that's not the guy he has to be. He just has to be, a competent player who can slot into this attacking lineup and be better than Brian Heal. Like that's that's his entire remit is just like be better than Brian Heal. He doesn't even have to be better than Brennan Johnson. Like that doesn't like he can just be the same. Um and don't and, say that to Ben. <laughs> I, well, I, don't, I don't know. Last week Ben seemed to say that he really loved Brennan Johnson. He's my favorite player on this team. He can do exactly. no wrong. How, uh, how long did that last, Ben? Uh. Yeah. So, you know, we got we got some quotes from Timo after the game where he was talking about, you know, changing his style of play and recognizing it's not all about goals and he wants to be there for the team and, you it's know, just setting a 10 up goals. And that's enough, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh but like that's really that's right. Like that's what we need him to be. Like we also need to get shots from places. That's always been kind of an issue where you know we don't have a goal scoring from everywhere in volume. You know there w- was a time when you know we had our our desk front line when we had everybody scoring double digit goals over the course of the season, and it doesn't really feel like we have a lineup set to do that right now. Um, and you know we also don't have a thirty goal striker to go with it. So you know we need guys who can shoot and we need goals to come from Timo and Brennan and Decky and whoever, but you know, the things that he did were still like a very effective in service to the rest of the team. And he managed to take five shots while doing it. You know, a few of them, like Brian said, were just horrifically bad um, and went into, you know, outer space, but like he's still shooting and like, you need that. Um, I think the real frustrating thing is, you had this front line with 
Brennan and, and Timo and Richie were all very fast, all hanging on the shoulder, all looking to get in behind. And they did, but we didn't have the midfield to feed them the ball. And that was the real issue. It's like, this is not the front three you want to play with that midfield three. You know, you want a guy like Kulishevsky up there to help, you know, help create for the other two guys. And you can see how once we get anyone back in that midfield to like thread through balls all day long for him and Brennan to run onto, like, I think it can cook. But, you know, this was just a rough draft. Well, and. Go ahead, Brian. Sorry. I was just going to say, we talked last week about how desperately this team just needs shots, right? Like, and, and, and like Ben said, he goes out there, he gets five shots, and look, uh, some of them were from kind of low XG spots, and some of the finishes were bad. Um, but, you know, like someone getting on the end of these moves and at least generating a shot is an improvement over where we've been in the past couple of weeks. Like, you know, we, we've had a lot of trouble when, when either, you know, we were missing son or Richarlison was missing, like just getting production from that third forward spot, basically. And, you know, I, I think he does enough other things. Well, that I'm, I'm just not worried about whether he scores 10 or 12 goals in the next five, six months. Like if he, if he scores six, that's great. Like I, that, you know, I really, really did want that one curler. He hit like just outside the far post to go in. Like, I was just like, please just give him this. Like, please just let him have it. And, you know, uh, I think people made kind of a big deal. Like, Oh, you really have to do better from there. And blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know. That was fine. Like uh, he he missed it by a foot and a half. Like he, he's we're played... just spoiled by Sonny who hits that every time. Yeah, and it's like he it's... played two hundred minutes of first team football this year. Like let's come on. It's really that first miss that was just like oh yeah, classic Timo. <laughs> like yeah. that's that was the one the... he skies like twenty uh, twenty rows into the stands. Like you're like ah yes, this is gonna be. I remember this. But there is something to him. Um, where it's like, you know, I think one of the issues that he's had, like when he went, if you go back to his time at Chelsea, you know, I mean, part of the problem with that is like, they were, he wasn't their only, they, I mean, they weren't counting on him to be Harry Kane, but you know, they were counting on him to be their forward, to be like, you know, their striker who was going to produce a lot of their goals and he didn't. And that was a problem. And, you know, I think that is something that could really sort of work in everyone's favorite Spurs. We seem to have a much more like, you know, like he's not the guy at Spurs. He is not the guy he, who was came in from Leipzig a few years ago. Like Brian said, it's, he is here to be a cog in the system and can he be useful? And I think you look at a game like this and it was kind of very predictable. And, you know, again, it should be, pointed out this guy's played 200 minutes of first team football in the last year uh or the season he is you know like just joined spurs so he's only probably had a few practice like he didn't even know where they were supposed to huddle up before the game um you know it it, it's only going to get better in terms of fluency but you know like what did he do he got in dangerous positions he skied some shots he worked very hard like these are all things that i think even the most like cynical chelsea fan you know could have predicted from their jail cell. Um, so, well, and I think you know, the other thing, 
I think the other thing about him is unlike, you know, a Brian heel or, um, you know, some of the other guys we've run out in those attacking positions, he didn't do anything that was actively detrimental to our, our team. Like, yeah. Okay. He skied a shot, but like, can you guys think of, you know, another time where he did something like really object objectively horrible, like Brian Heel played seven minutes, and I can think of two times that he fucked up real bad. Like, well, and and sort of as a piece of that, you know, like I think what he really offers us, which which is something that like a guy like Brian Heel doesn't right now, is you know he keeps the other team honest. If nothing else, like the way he runs, where he's taking positions, the pass he's making, the shots he's taking, like you can't ignore him or easily just like you know wait for a stiff breeze to knock him over. You know, it, it's, he's at least keeping the defense honest, which is an improvement. You know, if, if absolutely nothing else, it's an improvement, but I thought he was reasonably productive, especially when you take into account that like, this is a guy who's shaking off some rust and learning a new system in his first week. Like I thought that was, you know, I think he gave us much more than Brian Heal. Like I know we keep picking on Brian Heal, but like, you know, much more than our other options would have given us. Yeah, I think very promising debut and hope there's hope there's more. I'm I'm honestly interested. We've been talking about, you know, what this team's going to look like when everybody's back and healthy. Like I'm excited for like super sub Timo Werner. Like throw him on at 65 minutes and let him run at people that like let let Madison hit passes in behind at that point when when the fullbacks are already gassed from, you know, Sonny or Brennan Johnson running at them for, for the first 60 minutes. Like, yeah, then, throw, throw on him and Brennan Johnson in the 60th minute after, you know, yeah. Richie and Kulishevsky or whatever and see what happens. Exactly. I, I, I think, you know, look, we Ange wants fast guys. He wants combine guys. He wants, you know, these sorts of things. It was to play FIFA. Yeah, and, and that's what Timo is, and that's what he did. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I, I like it. But it's. I think that's what, you know, I think we've all been dancing around this, but I think one of the, you know, real encouraging things about this game is, like, we were down so many guys, so many important guys between Il- – and, and, and even then, it's worth pointing out, like, some of the guys that we did try out there, like Skip and I think a few of the others were, like, you know, had been – you know, dry heaving earlier that day. They were still dealing with whatever illness had run through the team. And we still played on the front foot. I thought we tore United to pieces. Like, I think we really played aggressive football. And that really, you know, stands out in contrast. You know, Ten Hogs had how much money and how much time. And you saw the, and they were at home and you saw the garbage they were out there playing. Like, I, I just remember thinking, like, this can't be the guy who scored, like, three goals on us in a Champions League semifinal. Like, this is terrible. This is awful. And, you know, we've got so many things working against us, and we just keep doing what we want to do. And it just makes you really sort of salivate over the idea that in two, three weeks, we're going to have a lot of these guys back, and we can be a lot more coherent. Yeah, and, you know, even with the team we put out, like, it was very frustrating to give up the two goals we gave up as cheaply as we did. I think they came from expected goals of, like, 0.3, you know. But the second half was one-way traffic. We just obliterated them. And, like, yes, we didn't create a ton of great chances. We weren't, like, an offensive juggernaut. But it was all Spurs until, like, the last shot of the game where McTominay yeah. only almost stole it with that fucking header. I was like, 
I I was ready for that to end our day. Um, but like until that moment, man, you had created absolutely nothing that app. We just locked it down and played our game. And, you know, again, it was still like a rough draft of what we can be, but it was a comprehensive half of football. And yeah, it has to feel good about where we're going. I guess we also did get a couple guys back who we should talk about. Yeah, it was we had a real back line for the first time in however long. It's funny how we and worked they gave so up hard. two goals. Yeah, they did. <laughs> we were, we worked so hard to get uh, Dragashin in here and uh, like have an actual center back, especially when it looks like uh, Ben Davies is going to be out for a minute. Uh, and like surprise, both of our uh, center backs are back like at least a couple weeks early. Uh, I, I don't know about you guys. I thought they looked a little shaky for the first 20 minutes. And then once they kind of got the rust off, it was like, you know, the regular service has resumed. Uh, you know, you talk about these two goals and like the first goal was entirely down to just like a clearance from Udogi just landing at a guy's feet. You know, Rashford puts a ball between, I think it was Romero's legs. Like, I mean, it felt, it did not feel like they gave up much of consequence in this game despite being out for like two months or whatever the hell it's been. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of things that probably could have happened on that Hoyland goal that would have stopped it at some point before, um, you know, the Udogi tackle ends up at his feet, but uh, yeah, I, I, I thought they were fine. Um, you know, they're, with Rashford and some of the other guys they have with Bruno Fernandes there to, to ping balls around, like there's always the risk that you're going to get beat over the top. And that just really didn't happen all that much. Um, you know, it was good to have Van de Ven back in his pace. And, um, and Romero, I thought did, did a pretty good job on Hoyland aside from, you know, that open goal or that opening goal. And, um, you know, I I, th- I think a lot of the the two goals is down to just not really having much of a midfield to help out um, more than you know their own two their two specific performances. But you know, look, it, it's good to have both of them back. Um, it was good to see Dragashin come on at the end of the game, and I guess we played like a sort of back three type thing with him. Um, but yeah, I, I thought the center backs were were pretty good for not having played uh, in Van de Ven's case for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll let the the back line off the hook a little bit, especially on that first goal. I think there was like a little tactical naivete there. Poro was kind of cheating up the pitch a lot in this game, trying to pitch into a midfield that was, as we've discussed, <laughs> pretty light. Um, and they targeted that space behind him a lot. And I think... You know, they were able to break down that channel and, you know, create a semi-dangerous opportunity. But I think once that manifested, Romero did well to contain Rashford and, you know, Udagi picked his pocket pretty well. It just fell in the wrong place. Like, it it was bad that we allowed chances like that to develop in that space because we should have known that it was a, a vulnerable spot for us, given the way that we were playing. But you know, I, I don't know. I f- it feels churlish to hold anybody just individual account for for those breakdowns. Um, but yeah, I thought Van de Ven especially was just like a breath of fresh air just to have his his speed and composure in that back line again. Um, 
you know, and this is to take nothing away from Ben Davis, who did a, a great job, you know, deputizing for him. But it's a it's a real difference maker having a guy with those physical tools. It's it, it just it shows what he can offer us, and it's a reminder of what we've been missing because you know, like Tottenham kind of gotten away with a I don't say poor, but shaky defensive record since that Chelsea match. And it's nice to be reminded that it's not because there's something wrong. It's because like everyone's dead and we can't play our starters. Uh, but you know, that's part of why we brought drug machine in. It's, it's, you know, it's like we're, we're fixing these problems and it's nice that we sort of moved very quick. I think Tottenham should also much like in the way they should thank us for bringing Pedro Poro into the club. They should thank us for doing a sizable portion of our podcast about how we're not going to sign this guy last week. And, you know, I think they signed him before we woke up the next morning. So, you know, like kudos to us. I think, you know, like round of applause. I think we all deserve it. Um, I mean, kudos to the Riz Master, Big yes. Ange, who, the Drip King. you know, <laughs> did exactly what you said wouldn't matter and single-handedly persuaded him to turn down more money to come play for his beautiful Tottenham <laughs> team. Although I will say that, like, some of Dragashin's comments are a little patronizing to the club. Like just in the way that he's like, Oh, this was better for my career. And I felt like this is a good step for me to take. And it's like, wait, so are you saying we're like a stepping stone for you to eventually get to Bayern Munich? Cause I don't know how I feel about that. Um, but you know, and I don't know. I, that's probably just me being <laughs> as negative as possible as this I can about the transfer. Start dealing with the Eastern Europeans. They just have like crazy ideas about things like Bayern Munich or a bigger club than Tottenham Hotspur. Like, it's yeah, utterly it's, ridiculous stuff. It's ridiculous. I mean, look, we we sold our aging, formerly exactly. superstar striker to them, and and look now he's tearing up their stupid farmers league. Like, yeah. come on. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, retirement home for washed English strikers. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, we're we're outbidding them for third center backs. Like we're massive, right? I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it's obvious. <laughs> Absolutely. How are you feeling? How are you guys feeling after this match? Sort of just like looking at the year ahead because we're kind of comfortably ahead of, you know, we're in like fourth, fifth place right now, or we're comfortably ahead of just the next pack of teams behind us. I mean, how Ben, I'll start with you. How are you feeling just like looking at the season ahead, given where we're placed in the table? Yeah. I mean, I think it's really all going to come down to fitness, frankly. I mean, that's, we have muddled through a bit in the last month or two and we're right there within touching distance of the top. You know, I think the title is probably a bridge too far. But, I mean, we're going to win the league, but the title yeah, might be a bridge too far. You know, but Andrews are ruling it out, and he's right not to. Like, yeah, we're still in a title fight, even though we're, you know, the distant challenger for that title. Um, you know, nobody is that convincing this season. Uh, you know, Man City almost blew it to Newcastle. Uh, Arsenal have now blown it and are no longer sitting at the top of the table. Um, you know, are Liverpool the team to beat? Like, they're not that convincing either uh and they've got you know Saligon for the next month or so so it's yeah i mean i think you know top four finish is likely top five even is probably going to get champions league this season 
Um, and I think we would have to have somehow worse luck than we've had so far not to be in that conversation at the end of the year. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, I, I think it's really going to be dependent on who kind of in the back half of this season puts it together enough to go on a run where, you know, they win you know, eight out of 10, nine out of 10 matches. And usually that's what city does at this time every year. And you know, they, I don't know. They, they just don't look the same. I mean, I, I know they're in second and they're only a few points back of Liverpool, but like Ben said, no one has been overly convincing. Um, and so, you know, there's certainly a world in which everybody comes back from international duty. Um, you know, we get the, uh, the guys that are hurt healthy and and Spurs go on a run like the run they had to to start the season, um, you know, and, and that would certainly put us in in a title challenge or at least comfortably in the top three or four. And, and, you know, we just, we haven't seen the, the kind of first 11, the first choice 11 that played so much of those games through August and September since that Chelsea game. And it, and we finally may see it again in February. And so it's just a matter of February, March, April. Can we, can we go on that run and make ourselves the team that people have to worry about? I think we're really going to have to go on strongly because our like last five game schedule is like the last five games of our schedule is ridiculous like we play a real murderer's row of teams you know what that reminds me of is the 2009-2010 season where we also had to run through a gauntlet to qualify for the Champions League for the first time so that's time. how we're going to win the league we're we just going to take scalp after scalp yeah I mean, we took out Chelsea, Arsenal, Man City like back to back to back I mean it can happen I think nice. the other thing that we're seeing right now that might tip the scales in our favor is financial financial fair play regs uh, seem to be squeezing pretty much everyone but us. Uh, you know, we have already signed two players and nobody else in England has made a real first team signing yet. Like it's, I, there have been moves, but no one has made a big buy and no one has made a buy at, you know, the teams we're talking about um, who are in this conversation. And, you know, we know City and Chelsea are feeling the crunch. Obviously, Chelsea are not even in this conversation, so it doesn't matter. But, uh, you know, we seem to have, you know, done a very good job getting our finances in order such that we have the flexibility to go out and splash a little cash and get the reinforcements you need to make that run up the second half of the season. And, you know, it's not clear that other teams are going to have the same level of reinforcements. You know, especially we pull in like a Connor Gallagher or some other midfielder to help bolster the squad. That and our, you know, match core coming back, it's a very fresh Tottenham team down the stretch. It, it's it's interesting because Levy's talked about financial fair play for a few years now. That like, oh, this is going to be a game changer and all that. And I think we're as bad as pro Levy podcast as there is out there. And certainly I was, you know, skeptical that it was going to matter. And I'm frankly still a little skeptical that it's going to, how much, you know, sort of how sharp those teeth are going to be 
you know, for lack of a better metaphor, long term. But it's certainly, if nothing else, it is restraining people right now. Like, I mean, you look at Newcastle crying poor, they're mounting like a PR campaign to be able to go spend money, which I know we all are really feeling sorry for them right now. But, you know, it is interesting the situation we're in. And I'll be curious if we sort of decide to push the boat out a little bit, because, you know, certainly when it comes to like, you know, I mean, I, I think we're really underplaying how funny it is that we're in for Connor Gallagher. I mean, we're in for a Chelsea Academy youth product who's been their captain this year. Been probably one of their better players, if not their best player under a new manager. And because they have some bizarre wage structure uh, like and insane sort of financial planning model, um, they don't want to just give him probably the contract that virtually any other major team in Europe would give him that, you know, we might be able to pull him off Chelsea this year. And it seems to me like the only hesitancy, because, you know, we're talking about 50 million pounds, which frankly isn't a lot of money for a player of his caliber. Um, you know, it seems to me what's holding it up is like Spurs are a little reluctant to give Chelsea money to spend, which I think sort of underlines the point you were making, Ben, of like, I mean, this is a whole new world. Uh, I, I honestly hope we sign Gallagher purely because of how disrespectful it is, um, both to Mauricio Pochettino and Chelsea. Um, and he's probably also good at football, too. Yeah. I, mean, I just did a quick scan of the January transfers to confirm that nobody has made a real signing besides us. And we've made two very good ones. Uh, it It's really possible that you know, we're coming, you know, it's already when we're recording this January 17th, it's not like there's a lot of runway left for these, these teams to, to do something if they're gonna, um, I don't know. I feel pretty good about the way this club is operating on a lot of levels. You know, the big, the big knock about Le- Levy in recent years was, you know, the end of the Pochettino era. He took his eye off the ball when it came to the football matters to, focus entirely on stadium issues and we just didn't have a football operation in place. And like, that was really bad, but we're finally at the point where we're reaping the dividends of, of that focus. Uh, You know, the commercial revenues are fantastic. The balance spending is keeping us afloat in a way that other clubs aren't. And somehow we managed to put together a real football operation in place over the last, you know, six months. and it feels like we're really like if it's not this season, like you really feel like we have got the stuff in place to put together a a real, you know, dangerous team that I don't know. I feel silly saying like we will be in the title conversation and Champions League conversations, but like it it doesn't seem like there's any reason why that shouldn't be the case from well, how like an operational standpoint. And I think the other thing is, is, you know, like you were saying, because no one else is really running away with the league right now, it feels like a couple of good and smart signings could actually pave the way for a title challenge, you know, and, and with no one else going out there and spending crazy money on like a Virgil van Dyke or, you know, uh, I can't think of anybody else that moved in January, but you know, uh, without without some of the other big clubs doing stuff like that, 
it it feels like if we sign a player like Gallagher, we we if we were to sign, I don't know, a striker who doesn't exist, um, you know, like that could be what pushes over the line, and. I don't. I I feel like for the first time in a long time, everything behind of the scenes is kind of aligned on that. Like Ange Ange said coming into January, you know, we needed signings. We needed he he, you know, we we need this this and this. And then, like you said, in the first couple of weeks, we already accomplished you know a couple of things on that list. And so now, now you're looking for difference makers, right? And and I don't know if that's Connor Gallagher. I don't know if that's I don't know anybody else. But but we now have the option to do it. And like you said, Levy's spending, Levy's uh, business planning over the past four or five years has set us up for this. And unlike times before, like when Pochettino was, we were right there. We actually seem ready to capitalize on it this time around. And and that feels both different and good. Yeah, I mean, you know, I remember we talked a lot during the Pochettino era about getting too good too soon, you know, in, in Daniel Levy's 10-year plan or whatever it was, that we didn't expect to be challenging where we were at that stage in our kind of financial planning. And as a result, didn't commit the resources, or Levy wasn't willing to overcommit resources you know, to really push that that squad that was overperforming to that next level. And it was very, very frustrating. But this, like, the culmination of that is here. And we happen to be blessed with a phenomenal manager and the bones of a really, really good squad. So, you know, it's very exciting. Of course, next week when we get ethered by Man City and West Ham leapfrogs us in the table, we'll be having a very different conversation on the podcast. but. Right now, the pendulum is swinging very painfully. Looking at our sort of squad construction, where we are both in terms of like you know we're bringing a ton of money to the stadium, our books are in good order, we're you know in a good place with all this stuff. You know, we we don't have to sell buy or anything like that. What I wonder whether it's in January or you know the summer is what what I'm kind of curious to see is if Spurs do something a little different, which is you know are they going to push the boat out a little bit to go get a different class? of player, take a swing on someone who isn't now I'm mixing metaphors, but, you know, just try to get a sort of different class of player. Our friend and, you know, podcast trader, Michael Cayley is, you know, when we've talked to him about this, he frequently emphasizes that like what Spurs really need to do is find another superstar. They need to go get a superstar, whether that's buy one who's ready made or get someone who's on the path to that. So, you know, whether that is Spurs sort of trying to get through all the, you know, because I think financially, from what we've been reported, seen reported, you know, Gallagher is apparently available for like 45, 50 million pounds. That's a lot, but that's not, you know, I mean, that's what we spent on Richarlison. That's less than we spent on Richarlison. So um, that doesn't feel different. Like the mechanics involved feel like a challenge, but the money doesn't feel like, I mean, it's a lot, but it doesn't feel like a difference maker or it, it doesn't feel like new territory for Spurs, I guess is the best way to put it. I'm curious to see if we either go for that, whether it's in January or the summer, or are we going to like, are we really going to take a swing on someone like Nico Williams? Like, are we really going to try to get like a name? Like, do kind of, I mean, Arsenal are in a different place than us, unfortunately, but like, you know, what they sort of did with Declan Rice this past year. And I mean, Declan Rice was 
the finished product and they had a certain confidence about what he was and what he meant to their team. But are we going to make a sort of similar signing? Or are we going to keep trying to do this sort of, you know, like right. improvements Mid-tier around guy the edges, which is, which is fine. I mean, that's not, you know, just cause you spend a lot of money on a player doesn't mean they're going to be great. Right. Um, most of our best players, we didn't spend a lot of money on. Yeah. But. And you look at, you know, you know, there's, there's a man with his own gravitational pull in Turkey who proves that spending a lot of money doesn't always get you what you need, but it's, you know, okay, like yeah. he, he didn't do anything recently for, to warrant you taking a shot. At it. Like no <laughs> reason for money. That. Um, no, but it, like that's the last time it felt to me like Spurs really pushed the boat out for someone. And I'm curious if we, you know, like it sure sounds like we're, I mean, you read these reports of what we're taking in on match day revenue, you see what's going on with financial fair play. It seems like Spurs are starting to operate in a different financial universe than what we've been in. And, you know, I think gradual progress, we're going to pay guys more to keep them around. We're going to like, get these young guys like that's great i hope we keep doing that but like i am i would really like if we went out and caught nico williams from athletic club bilbao like i would be very happy if we went and made a movie like that and i and i think again that's very hard there's a lot of other clubs who are richer than us who are probably interested in a player like that i think this is much easier said than done i just you know you keep reading about our finances and now you see all this stuff with financial fair play and I mean, Brian, you were talking about like sort of the market in January. I mean, I think the market period, there's room for us to operate in maybe a way that we're not accustomed to. And I just will be very interested to see if we do that either now or later. Yeah, I would love a big swing. I mean, we all want a superstar. You know, I think we have Sonny and that's great, but he is, you know, winding down his career. You know, we'll have. We have time with him, but yeah, that's certainly something we need to to, to do. Yeah, maybe Timo Werner is going to be it. You know, maybe six months of Timo, we get him on the cheap, and he is the guy that we thought he was when he was I mean, alive. Timo is like caviar, Luis Saha. He is like just the <laughs> sure the best version of a January punk right. you can imagine. Right. Uh, Even if it works out, it's still not that kind of sign. Yeah, it's still not yes. the big sexy swing. Yeah, the the problem is, is I just don't know what what that the big sexy swing looks like. You know, like t- to me, like yeah, Connor Gallagher's good. He's homegrown. He's you know whatever. But like, I, I don't I don't know if that solves the problem. Not a superstar. That, yeah, but yeah. I don't know if he's a superstar, and I don't know that that necessarily makes our 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 best midfield that much better right how much I, better is he than sar bentacore yeah and, and debatable if he is so you know I, I the obvious way that we can improve is by improving on richarlison and you know that's not the bag on him he's scored what like five or six goals in the last eight or nine matches I think like, he has like six or seven goals in the last six or seven games yeah. he's on fire yeah so uh, and also had a fantastic match against Man U. We kind of didn't didn't herald him, but another yeah. great performance from Richie. So, I, so I mean, you know, what what do you do to to improve on that now that he's had his pubis surgery? Like, I I don't I don't think you did. Like, I, I think the one area that's still kind of out of our price bracket is like established striker. Like, you know, like certainly in terms of like 
obvious improvement on Richarlson. And it's, I, I don't know, like I, I kind of want to see the rest of the season before I make up my mind on Richarlson. Because like, yeah, if we fix this dick and now this is how he's going to play all the time. Like, I mean, we talk all the time about players who like put in a shift for the team, but like, I don't know, this Man United match, that felt like sort of a different level of like, a guy who was like whose effort was very noticeable in terms of like tracking back, breaking up play, like causing problems in the final third. Like he just really did a lot of very good stuff. And I am like considering some of the other areas where we could like make some improvements or where in theory you could find a like, you know, if you're looking for a superstar, like I just think like depending on how the rest of the year goes, like I'm not sure we're gonna upgrade Omar Charleston. So I this is this is who he is now. I really don't mind riding that one out for another year or two. Yeah, it, it's superstar winger. That's still the guy. Like, I mean, we have a decent collection of guys now. But you know, as much as I love Kulishevsky, as much as Timo Werner might be great, as much as Brennan Johnson is a work in progress, you know, there's still just three guys. They're I'm happy to have them on the squad, but that's where you improve. You get a real superstar there. That takes us up a level. Yeah. So we got some questions from our listeners, but before that, I want to pose a question to you uh, that came to me from Ben earlier in the week <laughs> when we were just talking. And I think it's actually a good, uh, it, it was going to be a good discussion point for the pod. I think our listeners will get a kick out of it. Um, of, in your time as a fan of Spurs, who is your least favorite manager that you you've had to live under? Because we, we, I think this was this all came about in reaction to Mourinho getting fired this week, and um, Ben was sort of amazed that he wasn't sort of number one on my list with a bullet. So Brian, I'll start with you because uh, I think we know what Ben's answer is going to be. But sort of in your time as a Spurs fan, who is just your least favorite Spurs manager? Yeah, I mean it's either Jose or Conte, and I guess. Conte has that one six-month stretch where it was kind of enjoyable for him to be in charge of the team. It was very enjoyable. Let's, let's be fair to Conte. That was... Yeah. No, it was fun. We were scoring a lot of fun. goals. We were winning a lot yeah. of matches. It was fun. Um, but I think... And it, it's for the same reason with both of them. And it's that they both thought they were bigger than the job. They both thought they were bigger than the club. And they were pretty comfortable just dragging us in the media. Like, you know, the, the Conte press conference where he blows up at the team is like, I, I don't think I've ever been more upset with, you know, the a way that someone that we pay, not we, but the team pays money to manage them. I've never been more upset about the, the way that they spoke about the club. And... You know, at least with Jose, it was like kind of like they were they were veiled insults, at least initially. Um, so I, I and I think the Jose one is is magnified in terms of how bad we see it by the fact that it was the Amazon Prime documentary season, too. Um, so. I don't know. It's a toss up between Conte and Jose. I just really did not enjoy either of their tenures. Ben? I think I'm going to surprise you uh, by saying Conte. I Really? That does surprise me. So, like, I hate Jose Mourinho 
more than I hate Conte as like a person, as a football manager, as a media presence, everything. Like I loathe Jose Mourinho. But as a result, his time here was just like, fuck that guy. I hate this, whatever. Conte, I have kind of the similar journey that you had with AVB, where I was excited about this guy. I believed in him. I thought this was this was the, the hire that Daniel Levy thought Jose was. He was a big deal. He was worth, as you say, pushing the boat out for. You know, like, yeah, maybe he was too big for us, but that was a good thing because we were taking that swing to move up to the next level. And, you know, for a glorious spring, he did deliver on that. And the way that we got just the absolute worst, most toxic, ugly version of that man, who I still believe is a good manager and will probably be a good manager at his next job in a way that I never thought about Jose and knew he was washed. And I'm not surprised at all to see him fail at Roma. Like the Conte time was just, just poisoned something in me that, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I hated the Jose era, but I have never been like less engaged in yeah. caring about this team as I was towards the end of Conte's tenure. I just, especially like coming on the back of Jose didn't help, but it was just, just, yeah, the absolute nadir of, of my enjoyment being a fan of this club. Also, honorable mention for Christian Stellini. Like, <laughs> Well, like, I, he, I, that, like he's Conte. Like he that's is like, Conte. That's and the like, Conte expanded universe. Yeah, like, it's yeah. just like, <laughs> and, and and look, he was at least a nice guy about stuff. But God, he, it was horrible. And I just like he at least gave us that victory over Brighton, which was like very funny, like in every yes, possible way. Like him pissing off Deserby for no reason. For no reason. Like he didn't actually <laughs> say anything to piss off Deserby. Yeah, and then somehow getting carded for it. Yeah, I, I. I but he was, he. It was so stupid that we we went with him. I mean, he had that glorious record for us that we yeah. thought might mean something. Yeah. Uh, I. What about you? Uh, Is it still AVB? I mean, it's AVB in the fact that it's like, it's like your legacy. Like favorite he did nothing band. wrong, Craig. He no, no, no. Well, no, he did plenty wrong. So let's not <laughs> let's not get carried away here. But like, it's like, oh, the Rolling Stones are my favorite band when I'm 15. So they're kind of always going to be my favorite band, even if your tastes change or you learn new stuff. Like AVB, but I think it's very similar to like what Ben was saying about Conte. It's like I don't have the animus for Mourinho. Like I didn't enjoy it. I didn't like it. But like, yeah, Mourinho sucked. I never thought he was going to be very good. I tried to give him a chance, but no one's heart was really in it. It was during COVID. It was just like. Even Mourinho, I feel like we didn't get, like, the sort of full metal scandal bullshit that we're used to. Like, yeah, he was throwing players under the bus. Yeah, he was a piece of shit. Yeah, he lost to a guy who was in jail. But, like, (laughs) he sucked. But, like, I don't even feel like we got, like, the in any shape or form, I don't think we got, like, you know, like, Roma fans got the full Mourinho experience. And I don't mean because he won something there. I just mean, like, like, he was a mess there in a way that, like, I don't know, his heart never felt like it was in it at Spurs. Like, I am much more offended by the guys who, like, raised my hopes and then, like, just dashed them. So, like, yeah, I've always really hated ABB because, like, we had that great first year with Bale where he was, like, you know, Bale was, like, the best player in the world for a year. And then the next year it was just, oh, the Emperor has no clothes. 
we wasted a year with like like a real manager would have gotten something out of like a player like Bale who was exploding at the time. Like he would have actually turned that into something, like had a real attack and like maybe at a minimum finish in the Champions League. But I think like I'm gonna go with like AVB I, taught you to hate. <laughs> yeah, like frankly, as a soccer fan, yeah, he did. Like it's the most miserable I've been. It, it was the first time I was truly unhappy as a Spurs fan. Like, that end, that, like, Christmas, December period where, like, he just capitulated. It was Liverpool, and who was it before that? Like, he got his ass kicked, like, twice in a row. And it was just, like, he just seemed like he didn't know what he was doing. And It was City it was, and Liverpool, I think. City and Liverpool. And it was just so infuriating. And it was especially, like, to Brendan Rodgers, of all people. But, like, I would agree with Ben. Like, I don't think I've ever been more miserable as a Spurs fan as I was under Conte last year. It was just, it was a fight to do this podcast, like, both literally in terms of scheduling Ben and in terms of motivating <laughs> myself. I did not want to talk no, about this didn't. fucking team. And it was like, Ben, this podcast is an excuse to hang out with my friends. Come on, get on. Um, but it was just, it was fucking brutal football, even before, like, the bottom fell out. And then you, you combine that with, like, it's bad enough that we were playing so bad, but the contempt he had for the club, like, throughout, like, even when you're good, there was a level, there was an amount of contempt that shone through, but, like, like you said, oh, whatever, maybe we need it. And then it's, like, to see that shit, when we're playing, like, the worst football I've seen as a Spurs fan, which is, you know, I haven't been a Spurs fan for that long, but that's still saying something. Um, and to still be like, it's these fucking players fault. What do you expect me to do? It's Tottenham. It's like, you know, I mean, that was contemptible before we saw what Ange Postacoglu did this year. And it's like particularly contemptible when you see, you know, all the, like he basically kept holding us for ransom. It was that scene in Blazing Saddles where he kept pointing a gun at his own head and, you know, threatening us. And, you know, we, the thing about Conte that I think even like really puts it over the edge for me is not only was he contemptuous of us, not only did he give up, not only did he play terrible football, but at least by like the terms of Tottenham Hotspur, we gave him maybe not everything he wanted, but like we gave him a lot. We gave him more than we gave Mourinho. We probably gave him more than we gave Pochettino. I mean, we signed a lot of really good players that he refused to use or squandered. You know, these quotes this week about like, apparently he convinced Spence to come to Spurs and then immediately turned around talk about how he was a club signing like what a sawed off asshole i mean he was i i honestly think it's conte like 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 you know like avb's got a lot of like indie cred with me in terms of like terrible spurs managers but like like i've never no one has made me no one associated with tottenham Hotspur has made me as miserable as antonio conte like it's it, it's it was pretty fucking awful um and pretty unforgivable i think and i really hope that guy fails when he Do ends you- up in do you Sound think he idea. has any awareness of how our season is going? And do you think he's had any self-reflection yes. about that? You, n- yes and no. Um, <laughs> I think, yes, he has an awareness because he's absolutely the kind of guy who's going to let this kind of thing bother him. Right. No, he's checking his ex's Facebook page. <laughs> yes. I think he has, like, I, I, in the interest of being fair to Conte, which I don't know why I'm being, like, I do think some of the reason that season went so bad was, like, his personal life was falling apart and that sucks. And I'm sorry about that for him. That's still no excuse to behave the way he did. So like, I think between that and just how he acts, like, yeah, I think there's absolutely no personal reflection going on there. I think he probably just thinks the premier league is weak and you know, 
this fat guy from Australia is just getting lucky, but like, you know, fuck that guy. Like it was, it was that guy, that guy made me very miserable for like a year. It was not fun. Uh, yeah, I think it's gotta be Conte. Like, I mean, you know, like Sherwood was just <laughs> like, it was comedy. Like, I don't think you can really count Sherwood. Uh, it's just, it's gotta be. He gave us Harry Kane. <laughs> he did. It was like a weird kind of like all bets are off, whatever season. Gave us Kyle Walker as a 10. That was fun. That was, that was, that was a real treat. Um, but no, yeah, for no. Nuno, you know, Nuno, <laughs> Nuno left us with a better than you would expect points to <laughs> didn't really embarrass himself. I mean, I'm bet. I'm curious what you think of the Mourinho era. Cause like, there's so much there to dislike and hate, but like, to me, it all just feels so half-assed. Like even like, you know, like his ostracizing of Delhi, which was bad, but like, clearly there was stuff going on there. Like, it's just. It was just everybody just felt like they were going through the motions. With, Honestly, with that, that is the thing that really does stick in my craw. Because, like, he did, you know, people were, like, pointed back at his comments on the Amazon documentary about Delhi about, oh, oh, he was right. You need to apply yourself. You want to be a superstar. You're not doing it. And, like, I guess on some level that's, like, a little true. But also, like, given the context of, like, all of his mental health issues and whatever, Jose Mourinho is just the absolute worst guy to have in charge of a player going through something like that. And like, yeah, you have to wonder if we had had any remotely sympathetic or aware person who gave a shit in the club at that time, you know, could Delhi's life and career not have gone sideways like that? You know, if Ange was here, for example, you know. To be I mean, there I think it's the Delhi. only example, really, in football, though. Like, uh, I mean, his, his odds weren't great. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Ange might have balled him out, too. I mean, Ange is not exactly uh, I mean, Maybe. I don't think he would have been a dick to him on camera or anything. But, like... I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I, I think it's just, like, just the least warm yes. environment. And, you know, the other thing that really pisses me off about Jose is the bail reunion <laughs> happening under his tenure... Is just like, not taking advantage and, of it, right? And like almost squandering <laughs> it. And you okay there, Brian? <laughs> uh, yeah, and like Bale was phenomenal in like the brief glimpses we had, and it was like we couldn't even enjoy that reunion because it was in such an ugly atmosphere with such a fucking dirtbag piece of shit manager. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to think too hard about the Jose era because but I see, that, do that's fucking what I mean. despise that man. That's what I mean about the Jose era. It's like all this sort of just like low grade passive aggressive bullshit, which is not good. I'm not trying to defend it. It's just all sort of like him just casually being an asshole as opposed to like inciting a riot and a mob that go kill a referee after a European final. Like it's like like Roma really got Roma United. They really got like the full Jose experience. I'm not saying that as a positive in any form or fashion. I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about winning things or doing well. I'm talking about just like the whole sawed off Mourinho asshole experience. They really got that. We just got this sort of dickhead who didn't care, um, and which is not good. And I didn't enjoy it, but like also, it was the just like was awful it was and we all knew it was gonna be like i think it all took like i think we all to some degree or another were like maybe this is what we need you gave it like a month or two and you know the pandemic i think plays into some of this like in terms of our disengagement with it but like it just never went anywhere and you just knew from like almost jump street like this isn't gonna work this isn't going anywhere 
He's washed. He's not what we need. And we had to suffer through that idiot Joe Sacramento. Yeah. So here's a real question is, where does Pochettino land on your love-to-hate spectrum? Is he, you know, still up there with, you know, Ange and Harry and Martin Yole and the guys you love? Well, or is he gone full heel in your mind and you hate him as much as you hate yeah i mean right now he has i mean he went to chelsea man like that is fucking bullshit and you know i know it's partially because we didn't give him a call and it's kind of worked out for us um both in terms of Ange is incredible and pochino is turns out actually a fraud but uh, um you know it's just like, I think that's the thing about him at Chelsea. It's like he's burned so much goodwill. It's certainly the happiest I've been as a Spurs fan. Um, with maybe, you know, I, I think. Is watching know, him fail at Chelsea? Oh, yes. Yes, <laughs> yes that will be uh, when that happens. But, you know, it's, it's, you know, when he was coach at Spurs, it was incredible. And I think, like, I was always a little more bothered than a lot of my friends who were Spurs fans about him sort of tuning out towards the end. Um, even if maybe some of his irritation with the club was justified. But, man, I don't know. It's just, like, it's going to be, like, I, I think him going to Chelsea, I thought there was going to be a rapprochement between him and the club. Like, I always thought there was going to be, like, a real homecoming. Really? You can say day. rapprochement, but you can't pronounce, like, half the players on this team. You know, I, I read a lot about the French Revolution. Um but, you know, there. I, I always thought there was going to be a bit of a homecoming with him. And him going to Chelsea and also being a failure at Chelsea, like both of those things happening immediately, it's very, I don't know. I don't think, like, I think that relationship's very much poisoned in a way that, like, I don't know if it's ever going to fully come back from. I, I know I'm also saying this is sort of like the glow of everything's going great with Ange, revives FC. I know that's part of what's going on, but... In five years, you may feel differently. <laughs> Maybe, but I don't think I'm going to feel the same as if he just like went to like I don't know Atletico Madrid or Bilbao or like fucking Villa, like which which is tied to him. I think I'd feel a lot differently if he went to one of those clubs um, than I. What if he went to Manchester United? I'd still probably feel differently. Like it wouldn't be great. I would enjoy mm. it, but I wouldn't like hold it against him. You know what I mean? Like, where are you, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I think that was kind of the time that I really reconnected or like doubled down on my connection to Tottenham Hotspur, like his time in charge and, you know, the Leicester season and then... The, How fucking depressing is it that we call that season the Leicester season? I mean, what, You're what right. else is it? I, d- I can't remember years, so I couldn't Third even... two-horse race season. Yeah. Sash season. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and the run to the Champions League final, like, you know. Uh, those are some of my... What? <laughs> yeah. But just some of my favorite memories as a Spurs fan. So, uh, I, you know, he's still up there for me. And, like, you know, he went away to PSG, or, you know, well, we fired him. He went to PSG. And he came back to Chelsea, and and like you said, maybe it's just because we're living in like the little Ange bubble right now. But I don't know. I wasn't that bothered by it at the time. I mean, I said when he signed there, like, there's only so many top jobs in the world, and like, 
what are we what's he gonna do never manage one of the other big clubs like i you know i i don't i don't harbor that sort of negative feeling about him taking the chelsea job in the way that you do now i want to beat the shit out of him every time we play chelsea obviously and i want them to fail spectacularly but that's more of a chelsea thing than a pochettino thing um so yeah he's still definitely in my top three with Harry and and Ange for now. I, I can we inc- even include Ange in this? Like, is it too early? It no. feels too early, but God, it feels great. <laughs> no, sometimes you know you you say I love you on the third date, and it's premature. But you know, you know, you know. Yeah, but I mean, remember those first six months of their Conte? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, but we knew. Second we six also months knew Conte, really, <laughs> right? We also knew, like you know, we knew, like also, like I don't know. It's 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 the Pochettino thing. I think it's it's really interesting because I think he really. I, I just think the well's been to some degree or another been poisoned in a way that I think he would have come back virtually any other club in the world. He would have, like, he would have come back from. We all would have been very happy to see him, whether as a manager or just like a guy showing up at the lane one day. I think it all would have been very different. Um, but I think the Chelsea thing complicates it. And I don't know. I, honestly, I think him being a failure at Chelsea doesn't help his case with Spurs fans. For me, I think it's the exact opposite. I think if we were like looking up at him at the table, I would probably hate Pochettino. But now it's a little pitiable. I, you know, I, I hope he fails at Chelsea spectacularly. I'm enjoying watching them fail. You know, it is entirely likely he does not finish out the season there. You know, in a few few years, this will be a funny blip on on his career, and you know, we'll still have the you know five years or whatever of fantastic football and a lot of success under him. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, he's a snake, but I don't, I don't hate him. I think. And just to wrap this conversation up, because it's gone a little bit longer than I thought, but I think the thing that's really, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but the thing that's really interesting about Pochettino's legacy at Spurs is I don't think any of us expected, even if we thought things were going to go well, I don't think any of us expected Spurs fans to really fall in love with a coach this quickly again. And I think that has been, uh, it, it's, it's certainly strange in terms of how we relate to Pochettino, because I thought that was something we would be chasing for a while and we got it almost right away. Well, four years later, but you know, like, it's been in the really grand scheme of a football club, that's pretty quick. Um, it's been like seven managers since Pochettino. Yeah, it has been. <laughs> but my point is like, we had a pretty special relationship with Pochettino and obviously it's early days with Ange, but like, it kind of feels like we have that again. And I wasn't like, I thought like my kid might be in high school before I felt that again. And, here we are. So I, uh, I mean, how long did it take the fucking losers across town to fall in love with Arteta after you know over two decades or whatever it was with Wenger? I mean, that's fair. That's totally fair. But I just thought it would take longer um, for us to sort of hit that kind of emotional pay dirt. But um, yeah, I think we can all agree uh, Antonio Conte is a fucking terrorist, and we're glad he's out of our football club. Yep. Amen. Amen. 
That was a fun conversation. Um, yeah, I think there we're going to leave it because it's been a very long podcast. Um, Brian, we'll right. find you on the Greg's internet. question was better than the listener questions, so take that Also, under we don't have a game next week, so we might need to find things to talk about. <laughs> oh, no, a mailbag, a full mailbag episode. That's the last thing we need. Dare we? <laughs> dare we? Or can we just... Do we just want to like spend a whole episode talking about Mauricio Pochettino? <laughs> how, how long can we riff on Eric Dyer being afraid of fire? Oh my God, we didn't talk about Eric Dyer. Let's save that for. Well, I don't know. Let's let's do it now. Uh, Eric <laughs> Dyer. No, we'll save Sorry, that for everybody. our Patreon subscribers. Yeah, for, we'll for save everybody, that one for, for everybody that's just sitting in the parking lot of your destination, <laughs> being like, they got to wrap this up soon so I can go inside and see my children. You no, know we'll 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 talk about Eric Dyer. I'm glad you know the extra inch did this too, where they totally forgot to talk about Eric Dyer until the very end of the podcast. So uh, we'll save that for next week if I remember to talk about Eric Dyer next week. But Brian. Where can people find you on the internet, presumably, talking about Eric Dyer? Yeah, um, you know, all my Eric Dyer takes are on Spotless or whatever. What's his app called? Spotless? It's like an Atlas? I don't know. Um, I forgot he had an app. I don't know if you guys remember that, but that was a fun thing. <laughs> I, I just... I, until you mentioned it, I had totally put that out of my mind. Yeah. Um, anyway, what was I saying? Oh, uh, you can find me on X, formerly known as Twitter. Um, yeah, you gotta, like, anyway, uh, at at Brian underscore Ashlock, that's Brian with a Y. Ben, where can people find you on the internet ignoring our listeners' questions? I just need y'all to know that I'm watching these jackasses throw up, like, Wakanda Forever (laughs) arms for X. I I quit. (laughs) (laughs) That did it. Not Antonio Antonio Conte. No, this is, this is the new bottom. It's over. This has been one of our uh, better ends of the podcast. Uh, ben, where can people find you on the internet? I, I don't know. I, I don't think I want to tell them after this. <laughs> you can find me throwing up the X on Twitter at Skipjack007. And also maybe doing it on Blue Sky um, at Plain Old Skipjack. Uh, don't forget to follow our podcast at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in we. Radio or Ben or Brian. We lost Brett Rainbow. I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs, and enjoy your lunch. Brian, just cut cut it. (laughs) it.